Biz Talk, where we have casual conversations about professional things. We're a student-run podcast created by the Business Communication Lab in the Sam M. Walton College of Business. My name is Ryan Decker. And I'm Jesse Schneeblin. And our topic this season is sustainability. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Walton Biz Talk. Today, we're here with Frank Jacobus, who is an associate professor at the Faye Jones School of Architecture and Design, and also a principal of Silo Architecture and Design, as well as Lucy Goldman, a senior studying interior design, and Hassan Sawela, who is uh, studying architecture and is a senior as well. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah. you. I guess to get started, um, can you each tell me a little bit about yourself, um, just a little bit more about what you're studying or what you have been doing in the Faye Jones School? Oh, start, I'll start, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've been at the Faye Jones, this is Frank Jacobus, I've been at the Faye Jones School now, this is the eighth year. Uh, I teach a variety of core classes, so I have taught you know pretty much every year except for fourth year here. I uh, often teach a design build and or fabrication course. I teach the beginning course in the arts for the school. so. The course that people from around students from around the campus will take as well. Um, generally interested in, in practice and, and um, the idea that we how we kind of uh, translate ideas into uh, built objects and and what the implications are for technologies and and like for instance we're using three D printing as a technology this year and just asking questions about how's that going to affect future practice and how we produce architecture and interiors in the future. Awesome. I don't know. Um, um, I think it's interesting to look at what we're doing um, from the different views of like disciplines from architecture and interior design. For me, I see it as something um, used to create like products that will be used inside of buildings and stuff. Um, while other people, I think, are looking at it as like the building itself. Um, so interior design, I feel like I'm focused more on things that go inside the interior, the applications of materials inside, and how those co- correlate with like the human people inside, the human body itself, things like that. Well, for architecture, uh, we start usually with kind of formal study and uh, program study uh, for the first couple years. And the uh, uh, first year, we usually start with abstract kind of spatial exploration of like form and uh, space uh, then it kind of advance into like the comprehensive studio which is called now a uh, integrated design studio which we look into the building from all aspects uh, structure uh, mechanicals and then you know the architecture aspect which is space and form and we integrate those and try to kind of replicate what happens in practice but not so much to where we actually carry like uh, uh, care about the budget or all of these uh, but mostly it's it's that's what we we do in architecture and then uh, the fifth year is uh, more of kind of option studios and uh, this year and last year there were a lot of the design build kind of base studios and uh, those are fun because you get to actually work with the material itself and see the limitation of the material and how actually material come together and make something and it seems easy in paper in the drawing and in the design thinking but then when you come to the real kind of material and dealing with that it it's 
totally different. It acts different. So it's interesting, like this transition between like an idea and a paper and then, you know, try to fabricate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our topic this season is sustainability. And so I know you were all involved in the Future of Wood class here at the University of Arkansas in one way or another. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you do in that class, kind of how it relates to sustainability, stuff like that? I mean, I could start by saying the, the class is based around a, a grant that we received, Chancellor's grant that we received, um, working with an interdisciplinary team. So we're working with several architects, interior designers, and civil engineers on this team. And the premise is exactly that. How do we build more sustainably? And the second half, there was a first half of this class that dealt with mostly with mass timber. And our portion of the class or our semester of the class is dealing mostly with advanced technologies and new, new material and advanced technology. So we're dealing with, uh, we dealt with a little bit at the beginning of the semester with five axis CNC, which the students hadn't done much in their careers because we've only recently gotten a five axis CNC at the school. And, but mostly the semester we're, we're asking questions about 3D printing. And so uh, the, the sustainability part of this comes from the idea of waste material in some way, like we're using material that often would be a byproduct of another type of making. So for instance, when you're making a CLT or mass timber uh, element, like a column or a, or a, mm -hmm. a slab, you're gonna get a lot of sawdust and waste and just wasted material that they grind up and oftentimes they'll use as fuel, but sometimes they'll just throw the material away. And so we're saying, well, what if what happens if we use the byproduct of this manufacturing process and then we use it through 3D printing, because we're going to basically, we can talk about this in a bit, but we can turn it into a powder and actually use that to make uh, a, a kind of clay that, that actually prints through these materials. And not many hmm. people are doing this. If, we haven't found really anybody doing it with powder printing. Um, so, uh, so the sustainable part of this is that we have all these waste materials. So this could translate past wood into things like crop waste, for instance, which mm -hmm. is often just burned or just thrown away. Sure. And we anything we can make into a powder, we're, we're asking, can we make that into a 3D printable material? And then the students are charged with, okay, we can make this thing into this clay, but how do we actually make an architecture out of it? How do we make a space out of it? How do we make something potentially, hopefully beautiful out of this material? And so it's a, it, it, you know, the success in this would be a big deal in terms of just using uh, product in a in more wise a way um, in terms of how we build in the future. Mm -hmm. So I guess back to kind of the back to the wood part of this. So I know me personally, I don't know a lot about architecture, um, but I've seen a lot more buildings pop up recently that have like a little sign that say this structure is made with cross laminated timber right. or um, I think there's some others too. But um, just how do you see this coming about in buildings that are being constructed now? Is it really um, like are people favorable of it? Like is it a thing that is being adopted quickly or is it kind of slow to catch on? I think it depends on the region that you're building in for yeah. sure. Um, so when we went to Portland um, to do some research on cross-laminated timber and everything, um, a lot of the firms there, um, they kind of specialize in creating these buildings uh, that were made of mass timber or cross-laminated timber. And then we also visited plants to see where it is uh, or like how they build it and create. I can't think of it. Um, but it's good in that region because they have those resources there. But if you mm -hmm. were in Arizona, you wouldn't see as many 
sure. cross-nominated timber mm-hmm. buildings. Yeah, it might be sustainable in one region, but not in another region, mm-hmm. because you know a transportation cost and and all of that comes into kind of into play. So it, it makes sense to do that where wood is available, wood is like there, and it's uh, it's not as it, it doesn't cost as much right. to actually make it produce it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we also talk about this. I think that's exactly right. And we also talk about this stuff in terms of its energy. Like when we talk about sustainability, mm-hmm. oftentimes people are what they are using that word to mean is sort of energy reduction. But it's also sustainable from a like, for instance, wood from a wellness perspective. Just mm-hmm. being in spaces that are that are uh, made with with wood. Oftentimes, it's a warmer space. It feels better to be in that space. Um, so. Yes, that like in Arkansas, I think it's the the CLT at at the Faye Jones School. We're studying it a great deal. Many of the students know about it. In other schools of architecture, they probably wouldn't as much, just because, like the students said, there's not as much need for it in, in those particular areas. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of research being done or to be done in terms of even what what is the implications in terms of energy of shipping these panels from mm-hmm. place to place, and does that does that end up outweighing their actual uh, benefit uh, for their use? But when we look at the benefits, we have to look at not just the energy, but also the benefit of just having that as a material and its performance and and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So um, first, can you talk about just the difference between wood and concrete or metal in terms of um, like emissions, in terms of like actually being a greener material? Um, and then after that, we can talk about like the cost and everything and the structural differences. Well, I mean, the all the data that we've seen indicates that wood is many times more sustainable than a concrete and steel to the tune of I think five times as energy as as uh, more uh, energy reductive than than a than a concrete slab mm-hmm. would be. So if you could use CLT instead of using a concrete slab, they're they're sort of complicated to get into in some ways because at one for instance is that a CLT building is lighter than a steel and a concrete building. Therefore the, the entire structure can be can use less material and the foundation can be smaller. So you're using less less concrete because concrete's still used in the foundation obviously you're mm-hmm. using less concrete. So that that's uh, you know CLT is better in that way. There, there, CLT is better, for instance, in an end of life scenario built with with building. And we we really haven't. There have been people over the years who have talked about this, but it's not like a major subject of discourse until in the last five or ten years. People have been thinking more about this. But what happens to these things when they're no longer in use? And so, with a CLT building, it's often a kit of parts in in some way, shape, or form. And so that kit of parts can be taken down and the pieces can be saved and reused in other ways, milled down to smaller pieces or used in these wonderful 3D printed constructs that we um, <laughs> that we're in the midst of making. So it's a, it's a really complex world and I, you know, I don't think anybody really knows the answers to the entire mm-hmm. picture. You know, the students talked to, and I'm going to let Hassan tell more about this, but talked about the glues used in, in CLT. So there are things about the world about the CLT world, uh, transportation of the product, the glue used. There, there are things about the world that aren't necessarily optimal yet, mm-hmm. but they're yeah. hopefully getting there. Okay. 
Yeah, I think until we find the perfect way to actually laminate this wood, the more, like, I don't know, using something that is not hurtful to the environment around, like, just like the, the glue, the chemicals and the glue, and, you know, find the most effective way to transport it or to make it in, like, the, the, the region that you want to build in, then, you know, you could probably call it sustainable for that. But at the same time, <clears throat> I don't think it could be sustainable everywhere. You know, it might be sustainable here in Arkansas because there's wood around, but you go to a more like a desert environment where it's not sustainable. Probably concrete would be more efficient, even in the long run, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a whole process, not just uh, to build, uh, like, just building with sustainable material and thinking that oh the effect in the environment is going to be oh this is going to be better but then you know you, you, when you factor uh, the the kind of production and the transportation and all of that makes it it's, it's, yeah. it, so it's a big story because it gets into even like forest management for mm-hmm. instance. Yeah. yes we've talked about this as a class that you know, we can we can all just pound the CLT drum and the mass timber drum all day long, but the but we need to think in terms of how much material is being extracted to make this product. Mm-hmm. We talked to the uh, salesperson at the mass uh, plywood plant in in Frayer's plant in Lyons, Oregon, and he mentioned uh, that the privately managed lands are often managed better than the publicly managed lands because they treat the the they're these trees as a crop mm-hmm. that's got a 50 year yield or something like that. And so they manage the undergrowth. They manage that, that fuel that can build up in the undergrowth. They manage that because they don't want to lose that crop. That crop is right. their business and they don't want to lose it. Whereas sometimes these state managed lands for various reasons, I don't pretend to be an expert on this, but they don't get managed in the same way. And then sometimes the private industry is called in to help manage, but that becomes a kind of, troublesome to many people because they're they're afraid of what's going to happen on those lands if they if they allow them to be privately managed so so the the whole mass timber story is so complex because it, it's just like many other building materials it has implications it's good in use as Hassan was saying in some places and not others it's got connection uh, elements that are not wood that are steel so it's got you know there's just a lot of there's a big story to to it that needs to be kind of figured out over time but I think generally speaking in places where it can be used it's a really great thing to use and has a lot of advantages in terms mm-hmm. of how we build so what about um, like safety for example if a tornado comes through and there's two buildings there's one made of concrete and steel and one made of CLT what are the differences there there's not really they're, they're both designed to withstand particular levels of force so if it's a tornado they're, they're both designed with a particular size and force of that tornado mm-hmm. in mind so there's not really a fundamental difference that way there's still a lot of um, fire, uh, fire code testing has yeah, been a big yeah. issue fire mm-hmm. code testing and, and the mass timber actually chars on the outer edge so that so it's you know they're they're in the United States, at least, it's rated uh, and both structurally and for fire rating so that there, I think, an allowance now of 18-story building, or at least there's been an 18-story building planned. It hasn't, yes. the, the construction hasn't gone forward for various reasons. But um, so the, structurally, really, uh, 
not, you know, it's going to be designed structurally to, to withstand these things. It actually kind of performs in a nice way structurally in that there are, um, there's a kind of flexibility in the joint. Mm -hmm. So for instance, in an earthquake scenario, and they're still testing different size, different heights and stuff like this, but there was a five story CLT structure tested, uh, and they test them per an earthquake that has actually occurred. So they put these these, uh, beds that will shake them exactly like that earthquake, uh, exactly in the kind of sine curve of that earthquake. And they, they've tested really well because you want you want some flexibility mm-hmm. and there's even architects uh, jeremy smith was talking about this there's even architects experimenting with the joint that can be the joint of two materials that can be a kind of waste joint so let's say an earthquake occurs then this building shakes well there's going to be damage right in a concrete or steel building there's going to be uh it, sometimes you can have the steel bend and start to yield in a way where you have to actually tear the building down well, in some of these wood structures, what they're doing is creating joints that the joint will yield a little bit and it will be damaged. But all they have to do is pull the joint out and replace it with a new joint. Hmm. So they're not having to tear the entire building down. So it's pretty interesting cool that, that because of the end of life and the kind of kit of parts mm-hmm. way that this is made, it actually is, it performs structurally very similar or the same, but the, the after effect of that, that, um, structural shaking or, or, uh, or the sort of force and event that occurs can be mitigated much easier than a normal steel or concrete building. Hmm. That's the really interesting. When it starts shaking, it's going to crack. It's going to yeah. crack. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's, it's sort of fascinating to me that they're starting to make these joints with, Oh, we can replace the joints. We don't have to replace all of the pieces mm-hmm. of this building. So. That seems more cost effective too. Cause if you don't have to rebuild the building or tear it down or anything yeah. like that, that adds yeah. another benefit to the yeah. CLT. Yeah. Too, if you yeah. 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 Definitely. That's awesome. That's something that, I mean, me not having any knowledge about architecture, I was like, well, if they're building these skyscrapers out of wood, like if there's a fire, like what's going on? Or if there's an earthquake, wouldn't it just fall down? But that's really interesting. Yeah. No, they've, they've tested to the performance of, of what they now allow in, in the code. Now, Europe is ahead of us in terms of CLT and hmm. Mass Timber and who, what they're allowing. The United States is just, you know, we've been hesitant. It, right. Which is in some ways a little strange because we actually have forests that, mm-hmm. that can yield this material. Whereas some, some places have cut those forests down already, or they're, they're managed in a way where they won't allow some of this stuff to happen. One of my big fears has been, uh, how are we managing the forest? Because we, we like to pound the sustainability drum, but we have to ask the real questions like we can pound the sustainability drum, but what about the glue? We can pound the sustainability right. drum. What about the forest? We don't want to just, mm-hmm. um, you know, put ourselves in a situation where we actually think we're doing well and we're actually harming the earth more than we would be otherwise. Sure. <clears throat> That's really interesting. So you talked a little bit earlier about 3d printing. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and just about what you're doing with that and how it applies? It's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> it is very hard. Definitely yeah. hard. Um, I, I think one of the things that would be good to hear from Lucy and Hassan are the mixtures because one of the this this course has ended up turning into a material science course in some <laughs> ways, which it was never intended to yes. be. But like, <laughs> so like they're they're doing something that's pioneering that like the next group of students will come in and they'll be like, oh, this is easy. We have, we have the <laughs> recipe. We can do this. So You're the guinea pigs. <laughs> be, yeah, they exactly, yeah. totally are. And it would be good to uh, for them to sort of explain the recipes and what we've gone through because just because you have a recipe doesn't mean that's going to print out of the printer that we're using. So 
Okay, so I think the first thing is when people think 3D printing, they think of plastic. And um, those are created with PLA. Um, and they have different materials that can be, they're extruded into this very thin piece. And it's a very, it's typically a smaller 3D printer that is used. And they have a wood one. It's only about 30% wood. Um, but what we, we are using is a clay uh, pottery 3D printer. Um, and so with that, you put a mixture in and it will extrude the mixture, not just the plastic, and then it will dry um, depending on your mixture um, for X amount of time. So we worked with clay first um, just to see how the machine works and what forms we can make with the clay. And then um, Frank had a TA this summer who came up with a mixture with the wood flour, which is the grounded up wood um, that's very fine. And it was a wood flour, regular baking flour, and just Elmer's glue. Yes. Wow. So that's just where we started. Story, yes. <laughs> the first next year was 33% wood for, for the powder printing. Now, yes. they have a the wood printer, the wood spooling is actually 20% wood, 80% plastic. Okay. Yeah. That's, so that, I'm glad you close. That it was, it was, it was <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know. But we were, we were ahead of the wood spooling by 13%. The problem was the it was... 33% wood flour, 33% baking flour, and 33% glue. So it wasn't sustainable, and <laughs> the rats were eating our prints. So oh, no. They were, they were eating our, our prints. So we so had to come good. up with a better better mixture, and part of the semester, a big chunk of the semester, is like getting a better mixture. So Which I think we've done. Yeah. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah, yeah, I agree. We have something that we can print, and, and we have different ways. Yeah, it print nice, and then you know, with dealing with printing, it seems like oh, we get the mixture right, and then we just put it there, and it prints. Uh, there's a lot of like just trial and error there's there. Been a lot. Yeah, because <laughs> the printer has di like different settings, speed, the extrusion factor, and then you know the the model itself, like what the design of the model. What, what are you printing? Makes total different. You know mm -hmm. if you. If you have a design and you assume that this mixture is going to work with this design, it doesn't. It, not all of the time. So maybe this mixture is like made to to print just like a specific design, like geometry, and that's going to stand. That's going to print well. And so it was. It was a lot of uh, kind of. It going, still is. It, yeah, it still is. Yeah. It still is. It's yeah. going between the mixture. It was like, oh, we add more water here. We need, uh, you know, to kind of make the <clears throat> make it print faster, maybe. And we change the geometry, and so it's 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 a lot of here and there, like change here, mm -hmm. change there, and until we get like nice result. And we have been successful in a couple of prints, but still, like it's not consistent. And I think. We're getting there to where we can actually get a consistent result. We know what the limitation of the printer. We know the limitation of the mixture that we done. And by the way, the mixture now is up to 60% of wood. And then the rest more. is like, yeah, we, we're trying yeah. more. But then, you know, it's adding more. It, it just takes away some other aspects like drying and then, you know, how the glue actually dries. So Lucy actually tried with like organic kind of glue. I base. think I have used so. every type of glue possible <laughs> yeah. um, that I could find. Yeah. So uh, where did we even start? 
<laughs> um, I started with wood filler, and yeah. um, which is used just to fill in holes, and then you can stain on top and mixing that in with a bunch of craziness, and it failed. It didn't even get it. Um, we didn't even get it into the printer because what it is is this massive like suction tube that mm-hmm. presses it all in, mm-hmm. and so. The first way we like tried to simulate it to see if it would even push into the tube was using just a syringe. Um, I found out that we're not really strong enough for that. <laughs> so it really, yeah. it just kind of, it's yeah. like you have to wait and see. And we've all been trying different consistencies. I'm trying to think mm. what other crazy things we've tried. We've joint done. compound, yeah, joint compound, yeah, yes. which which made the most beautiful mixture, but then it just flakes apart like mm. joint compound wood when it dries. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's uh, that was a tough one. I mm-hmm. have been like cooking basically. Mm-hmm. We've got some tree sap and mm-hmm. um, in a powdered form, and to make it into like actual sap and more of like a rosin is um, you mix it with acetone. Mm-hmm. Um, which is flammable, <laughs> but I don't think you were here that day when you did no, okay, this. Good. Um, Sounds like you speak it, from it's experience. Okay. It's okay yeah. because somebody was next to you with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. But, um, well, the university administration just heard that I wasn't there that day, so. I'm, I'm, I'm but no, no, no. But other people were there. Other yeah. people in charge were there. Yeah. Um, but if you heat it up, it becomes more. It's easier to move around and move with. So we went to Goodwill and bought a few pans and someone brought in a hot plate from the wood shop and I'm wearing a respirator and mixing acetone and <laughs> sap and pouring more wood in. and it was really it was nice but it was very once it cooled it was still flexible it was very hard it would be something to cast yeah. so that's something yeah. else that we've been doing is casting um, but not to not to 3d print because it would harden too fast yeah. and then from there somehow I magically got to hide glue, which is where we're at now, and I'm waiting for my delivery text to say that <laughs> it's been delivered to my apartment. Um, but hide glue is natural glue made from animal hides. Um, you can make it yourself if you just like dry out a hide. I've watched some very interesting YouTube videos on it. <laughs> um, but you can buy it. Um, it's used to repair instruments a lot, so violins are used with it. Um, And all you do is you heat it up and you mix it with water. Um, And you just, for us, we've been mixing it with the wood flour. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't think of the percentage off the top of my head that we got. But it's it's, it was pretty high. With with Edgar, last week, we did probably up to 75%. Yeah. And there were some issues. It just, it depends on how much water. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we're going to keep working on, hopefully, like today and in yeah. the future. Yeah, the hide glue is a, is a nice option because it's completely a natural option. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's no epoxy We're using involved, every part of the cow. Yeah, and then Lucy said this, but I want to make sure I, I that's right. Yeah. I want to make sure I say this, that there are, there are, there are two teams now. One is working yeah. on casting, which also is not, that I that we've found at least, it's not done that often. So casting wood instead of casting any oh, other wow. kind of mm-hmm. material that you hmm. cast. Yeah. And we've gotten an 80-20 mixture for 80% wood and 20%. And you've come up with a few of that, and yeah. you can talk more about yours, what too. The, Your mixture, it's just in general. Oh, the mixture. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> what I've been working with, with uh, is the plastic... Uh, Epoxy the, resin. The, uh, wood resin. Oh. A, plastic wood resin, which is a powder base that is mixed with water. And uh, 
the problem here with the wood flour, the wood flour does not absorb the water. So when you mix the glue with the with the wood flour, the water kind of just like wants to leave the mixture. Mm-hmm. It leaves it dry. So the the solution was to add actually just bacon flour because it has uh, the gluten gluten which is interesting which absorbs the water and we use just like really small amount of it just to for that purpose and we've been successful in getting like a real really good consistency to where it's kind of clay like mixture and this is what we have been printing with and uh but then you know it's, it's still like the the amount of wood we need to, to up the percentage of the wood in the mixture but it it's been hard with this mixture as i think like i don't know like if we can get it with that one we we were trying with different ones and hopefully we, also we tried can get the it the borax the borax is interesting which is used in like making slime and mm-hmm. stuff yeah. like that yeah. and it we barely put anything in like a pinch and it was like instantly kind of slimy gooey but it wouldn't fully get out of the printer and i think that's like a lot of it is like the printer pushes so much that a lot of the moisture is lost and Mm -hmm. it just pushes moisture out and not the mixture Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. figuring all of that out was definitely hard interesting so whenever you're 3d printing am i correct in assuming that you're making like wood is that like building materials or like what is what is the end product okay. of the 3D printing? Well, I think the first was to test like test the limitations and see what mm-hmm. we can do. Mm-hmm. But now that we're almost at the end of the semester, which is terrifying, <laughs> um, Frank has given us this lovely project of creating a pavilion. Hmm. Um, and how we go about that is just yeah using. Yeah. Using what available, what what the printer can do, what the mixture can do, the the one we have. So we know the limitation now that we have experimented with it, and so we know that we can extrude, <clears throat> we can build basically something like a, a like a brick like with with structure within it, kind of hollow brick, uh, extruded just like vertically because we can't do any like uh, curbling, which is like something that you can do with the clay easily because the consistency of the mixture, mm-hmm. the wood kind of, you know, it starts to uh, sag. Or sag, sag. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cor- and, for the listeners, yeah. curbling may, may be a, I don't know if it's a word that we use and other people don't know about, but it's the, yeah. each, each layer <laughs> steps out Step a little bit from oh, the next okay. layer. And so it, it tends to collapse with the wood mixture yeah. because okay. the clay mixture is yeah. viscous enough where it, it Binds holds yes. together. Interesting. Yeah. So now we know that we can we can do like an ex, like a vertical extrusion without any. Uh, so we're trying uh, that with another method of like before it dries, we just drape it over some curvilinear form to where it when it dries, it shapes that it curvilinear. Shapes mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And then we're kind of at this point where we experiment with uh, how we join like each individual piece together piece them together to actually make a, a structure that stands and that it is like i don't know shelter like yeah we're working with um, civil engineering michelle uh, barry is mm-hmm. working with us and so we are testing some of these pieces. So break, we're going to be break testing Monday some of the pieces that they're making. Uh, there's already been some break tests of, 
of regular wood pieces, different yeah. kinds of wood and stuff like that. So they can get all of a sudden the, the civil engineers will have an understanding of how our materials match with other wood materials, some mm -hmm. more normative wood materials. And so that's been a great part of this too. And it's going to be a little bit like we're, we're a bit on top of each other at this point from the standpoint of in a, in an ideal scenario, we would have, you know, material tested week one and structure tested week two and like can move into the full build knowing all this stuff, but we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a very real world that's, and we're, as, as, as was said earlier, the students are basically pioneers in this, in this, this semester. So in future semesters, we'll have more of that information up front. But right now, and this gets back to something Hassan said earlier, the reason I'm so adamant that we build two structures that are inhabitable with this is because it, to me, it falls flat if we don't get to the end of the semester and show people this can be used to make things that we live in. And, right. And it, it gets back to that idea of like when you get to fabricating things, yeah. the world becomes very real because mm -hmm. it's not a fake yeah. like exactly. things on paper world. And so mm -hmm. that's the excitement to me is that we've not only figured out how to print this stuff, we figured out how to print this stuff and make it into something that has structure, that has yeah. space, that can be inhabited. So yeah, and design is like not what do you think that you're going to draw something and then make it because the material kind of limits you and probably change not change the way the project that you want to do like the end product but it, it can inform your process so the, the limitation of the material what the material can do can probably starts to inform like the just your formal language of how the built thing is going to be because oh it like this material can be joined this way or that way so all of these like decisions that you're making while working with the material can actually change the the way hmm. the project is not as like your initial sketch that you, th you thought th this is going to be the end product it's it's i think that's every design too like yeah, it all yeah. slowly changes it, yeah but seeing it definitely in this fabrication is mm -hmm. very different for right. me yeah well so. i yeah last semester i worked with metal which is like totally different <laughs> but it was the same problem i had a material that has limitations and i had a design that i wanted to, to do an uh, initial kind of idea but then going with the material the material kind of made me change a lot of like mm -hmm. the design as I went because oh I, I try something but it doesn't work so I change it and that changes formally actually so hmm. it's so, an interesting process that uh, an architecture school is I think it like having those studios now like those design built studio work directly with the material is really important for the students yeah. uh, because you know we think that we can just like draw something and it's going to be magically built by someone. <laughs> mm -hmm. But now knowing the material and the limitations is really important. Right. Yeah. And that kind of brings up the business perspective too. Uh, like what yeah. is the cost of the material? Mm -hmm. Like, is it easily gotten? Like how, how does that all factor in? Yeah. Um, so with this type of material that you're creating, um, is it more cost effective than other materials or like from from that perspective <laughs> can you can you talk at all about that I think the the um, future potential of this is because we, we haven't mentioned this but we're also dealing a little bit with topology optimization it, we've, we've done some tests on it we're probably not going to 
sort of fulfill the the um, hope of the topology optimization. But the but just if we project five years in the future, ten years in the future, the idea is that when you look at even a CLT slab or a steel beam, the reality is there's more material there than is actually doing the work. And so the, the, the economic advantage to a 3D printing process would be you could literally topology optimize to the exact structural stresses and strains that it's going to take on mm-hmm. and, and print only what material is needed. So there's a kind of hope and promise of the use of less material. And, and like we said earlier, this is a waste material anyway. Right. I mean, it's a byproduct anyway. So you're, you're having the potential of using less material and it's also a waste material. Mm-hmm. Economically, now I haven't done, I've, I don't think any of us have crunched the numbers on what this versus other materials would cost. I think the students are in a zone right now where it's probably feeling very, like it's going to be very costly to them. But <laughs> anything we've built would be costly. So it's hard to say, is this more expensive than than anything else? And I think it's it, in some ways it's kind of unfair to put it in the realm of you know comparing it to a piece of dimensional lumber that's been around for hundreds of years. Like sure. I think this is new. It's it's it may have expenses uh, within it that are that are greater because it's new. Uh, just like for instance, CLT is more expensive to build than concrete right. because it's new. Mm-hmm. So if we just, just like anything, it, yeah. yeah, if we judge it purely based mm-hmm. on today's numbers, then it's probably unfair. Mm-hmm. I think there's economic for, from a business standpoint. Uh, if you if you want to go into business with these two or something, <laughs> like that, that there's some there's some real uh, potential here uh, with because uh, there really is nobody selling this material. They're making right. things that just are not on in the market at all. And, and they're actually using tools that are not intended for the purpose they're using them for. So I think there is a future market of things that print this way, like machine and, machines and equipment that are better at handling this kind of printing and material cells that are, that are better for this kind of mm-hmm. printing. So I think there's a whole world of business that's sort of right. potentially opening up to these kinds of processes definitely like, like the clay we buy it's just, just we buy the clay and, it, and yeah. it's meant for this <clears throat> printer to print and it prints well without problems it's just a re- ready mixture out there you can buy it so this is it's like soon I think like if someone picks up this like mixture and like the wood one and try like to kind of really get it to where it's in a product out there can, they can make money out of it Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, especially yeah. when you're talking about how it's not using more material than yeah. it needs. Yeah. Um, that's a potential inefficiency mm-hmm. if it uses more material than it's yeah. supposed to. Right. Um, yeah. So it yeah. sounds more efficient and it sounds more environmentally friendly, yeah. um, all of that. So that might even outweigh the costs in the short term right. until we can get that figured out. And it's like, how yeah. can it cost less? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that will come with time, too. So I think that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, yeah there's a there's definite future in this in the in the university with material science i think that's probably one of the next steps for for me um the, the, these two will be out gainfully employed at that point but like, <laughs> for me the next step is talk to the material science people um, i don't want to pretend like we are material scientists in some ways we're act we're behaving that way now to try to get an architectural and interiors kind of thing at the end of sure the, at the end of the semester but the the uh, reality is in the future, if we get very intelligent material science faculty and students involved with this 
we're going to get better mixtures right. and things Definitely. are going to improve in ways that um, are also going to benefit the process like you're talking about. I mean, even uh, materials, I was talking to Professor uh, Tian about this, that uh, materials that, um, you know, concretes that are uh, le- that are more sustainable in terms of their, their constitution, right? And and with our with our product, I think with our with our uh, mixtures, I think there's many ways. Perhaps there are adhesives that are more sustainable that we haven't even looked at yet. That yeah. we're not familiar with as architects. <laughs> so, I think there's a good future in this with uh, with respect to the kind of interdisciplinary work that could go on at the university as well. Interesting. Yeah, and that brings up interdisciplinary approaches, kind of like yeah. what we've been talking about this whole season. Mm-hmm. Sustainability is really in everything. Yeah. And so working together across disciplines is really important to really optimize results. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And we're doing that in the studio through a kind of allied disciplines of interior and architecture, but also through our relationship with civil engineering. And again, I don't think the, the relationship, the, the sort of structure of the relationships are perfect yet. There's there's sort of, as I go through as a teacher, there's a kind of self-critique of how, how this could have been better, how that could have been better. But I think the just getting everybody in the room and, and hearing, like, this morning we learned about the way they uh, virtually load test things and stuff. And I was, you know, we were sort of caught up in their world for a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if we had relationships with business students, we right. would then get caught up in your world of the sort of economics behind these things. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just, to me, it's a great, if we keep our minds open to, to how other people are thinking and working, it's, it's a great thing. But so far we've got three disciplines involved in a grant and the grant we have forest uh, forestry involved. So, I mean, like you said, it, it really is everybody coming, coming into play. Everybody's expertise could benefit this. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. All these different mm-hmm. disciplines could benefit this. Uh, and, and we brought in, in that, uh, the chemistry professor. Yep, that uh, that's uh, Ryan. Tion. Okay. Yeah, that's the and he was great. I mean, he, he was he's, awesome. He was super energetic about what this could be. So I, I see a definite future in in um, for the university that that's going to kind of take strides forward with the stuff that's already been going on. So it's it's a challenge to get. You know, one of the things I've been talking about lately with my colleagues in, in relation to the studio is. What do we? Who, who do we want to graduate from our program? What, what kind of mentality and what kind of uh, sort of spirit do we want the people to have who graduate from our program? And one of the things I think we're learning in the studio is the spirit of when walls are put in front of you, finding ways around them, over them, through them, whatever it takes to kind of. Uh, and and that, I like that the fact that we might be helping people get that kind of spirit. I think as you as you kind of become old like me. You, you've seen enough <laughs> stuff that like that these challenges aren't aren't going to get in your way but to to get students to the place where it's like yeah we can do that we can handle that we can you know that's that that kind of agency and the ability to sort of positively work your way through problems is is a huge thing and this studio if nothing else it's got to be the hardest studio i've ever <laughs> taught or run or whatever <laughs> whatever you want to call it like they're dealing with things that are really tough every test that they you know they ran through the the uh, mixture tests and stuff like that that they've gone through each one of those is 
It's really weeks. I made a list. I think I made over like 30 mixtures. Yeah, and each time you make a mixture, just to kind of get get you a sense of this, Mm -hmm. it takes an hour or two hours to make a mixture. You've got to load load the mixture in this tube. You have to prime the machine. Prime the machine, set it up, up, and then it doesn't print. Uh, And you're like, oh my God, three hours. And so then you say, what's wrong? And you're adjusting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a frustrating yeah. process. Yeah. Um, and that's another reason why I'm adamant that we have these pavilions, because at the end of the day, the frustration, having mm-hmm. those things is going to make the frustration worthwhile right. um, at the end of the day. I think people will unfortunately look at these pavilions as the, oh, that's easy. We can, we can yeah. do that. Why didn't you do that? <laughs> they look, you know, yeah, but, or, but they won't understand the background yeah, and what, right. what went into making these things. So. Hopefully, if they listen to this podcast, they'll understand it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. send them this way. Podcast on a loop. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. That's that's really cool. So, I guess to wrap up, uh, we've kind of asked everyone that we've interviewed so far this season just what sustainability means to you. Um, so if you could each kind of develop short, like sentence or two, um, I know this is kind of a lot to throw at you, but just what, what does sustainability mean to you? I, I would, uh, that's a very big loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's just trying to, trying to be a part of handing a world off to my kids. For instance, I have two mm-hmm. kids. That's a better place than, than mm-hmm. uh, so not just that it's even to, but that's a better place. We've got better systems, better ways of building, better ways of thinking, better ways of treating each other. I think that's the, to me, that's the idea of sustainability. You know, when my life is over, have I just exhausted resources and taken, 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 or have, have I tried to do something that uh, helped that world that they're entering be a better place? Mm-hmm. I don't have kids, but I agree with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. you put it in good words. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think we're not like trying to solve problems that we have now, but we're kind of anticipating what's going to happen in the future and planning ahead. And that's what sustainability is, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I, yeah, I really because like that. If, we, if we try to actually just focus on what's happening now and this is the problems that we have now and we by the time we figure out the problems by the time we figure out the solutions it's maybe too late and other problems arise so Mm -hmm. we have to be kind of future looking and anticipate what's going to happen or like project in the future i think sustainability has become really big in the architectural design world um just products, mm-hmm. and then even with LEED certification, well building, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. all these different certifications mm-hmm. to help make sure that your building is sustainable um, as the building itself, but also helping the people inside the building mm-hmm. um, feel better, grow, mm-hmm. and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an idea that circulates a bit around architecture and interior design of hedonistic sustainability, where don't it's not just a matter of using less energy it's a matter of doing all these things that we need to do in terms of being sustainable but making beautiful things while doing it mm-hmm. and just yeah. mm-hmm. that we can make things that are sustainable and give us a lot of pleasure as well and i think that's that's the sort of place we need to be um generally speaking in terms of sustainability right it's not always just a compromise no. you, yeah. you can have yeah. you can yeah. have the better yes yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I think this was very insightful. I know it was for me. Um, I learned a lot today. Um, and I know our listeners will as well. So thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, this Thanks was for having us. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah.